This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's up, Cedar Valley, and hello to the Hawkeye State. This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your Iowa-based sports show, not on AM 950 KOEL and KOEL.com for this midweek episode, but you can always listen to us on the app, of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play as well. And while you're there, make sure you leave a rate and review. That does help us out a lot. My name is Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter. I'm a UNI insider for Town Square Media covering the Panthers. Today, we're going to be joined for an extended look into the end of the uh, Iowa State football season for the Cyclones and the start of basketball as well. Nick Osin from Cyclone Alert and 24-7 Sports going to be joining us for close to a half an hour. So typically when he's on, we kind of have to rush things together to try to keep it to 15 minutes. He's a busy guy, but uh, he uh, joined to, excuse me, he was willing to join us for a bit of an extended talk on this Tuesday afternoon. So very much looking forward to that. But before we, we get to that with Nick, I want to start off in in my specialty, like we kind of typically do on these Wednesday episodes, do really big deep dives into uh, UNI sports, and there are a couple things regarding UNI football that I want to get to to start today's episode, and the first thing, uh, well, I guess before we get to that, as I am recording this on Tuesday, the Panthers are also about to play Toledo tonight in the McLeod Center, who was recently receiving votes, but ultimately lost to George Mason. I believe that was at home for the Rockets. Might have been on the road. Either way, we won't have anything regarding that. I will have a recap on uh, the KOEL websites and, of course, all the other Town Square media sites that are local. And we'll share that on uh, my, my Twitter feed as well. So no analyzation of that on today's episode, even though I do ha- tend to have these out on, on Tuesday and Wednesday. But... That'll be available after the game on uh, all the Town Square sites, and of course, I'll share that on Twitter. But again, starting with football today, the MVFC shared this week, actually, I believe it was yesterday, that three of its players finished in the top 12 of the uh, Walter Payton Award finalists. For those of you who don't know, that is essentially the offensive, it is the offensive player of the year in, in the FCS, not like necessarily like the Heisman of the FCS, but more or less, because the Heisman always goes to an offensive player in the FBS. So it's it's essentially that. And and Theo Day, believe it or not, starting quarterback for the Panthers, who was one of the best in the country, definitely the best in the MVFC, which is the best conference in the country, uh, was not on this list of 30 players and was very obviously not in that top 12. It, what it was was uh, Jaleel McLaughlin. I have no problem with that. And uh, Hunter Lepke, which, you know, you know how I feel about that, which we'll, we'll talk. We'll touch on that for a second. McLaughlin, the uh, or McLaughlin, one of the two, running back for for Youngstown State, who won the MVFC Offensive Player of the Year, and Lipke, who finished ahead of of Theo Day in the Offensive Player of the Year runnings or running for for the MVFC, and then a lineman for North Dakota State. Which whatever, Trevor Penning was in the running last year, but he was also an outlier. So do with that what you want to do with that. 
One thing I wanted to hit on regarding that, as we've addressed it before, is that Theo Day has been looked over time and time and time again in these these awards, these these even just the running for the awards. And I was asked just straight up by by Matt Smith, who's a big fan of UNI basketball. I believe he's a former manager for the Panthers, and uh, he also watches UNI football. I believe he went, obviously, he went to UNI. He's a former manager, but uh, very, very much a historian of UNI basketball. And he just stopped and said, "Hey, what's the what's what's the deal with this? Is is it the MBFC? Is it the voters? Is it UNI that are the is or are the main reasons?" for Theo being passed over for awards like this or, or just really not even being in the consideration? And that's a really good question. If there's one thing to put it on, I, I, I truthfully, before I even say that, I don't think there is, there is one thing. If I had to put one in the, 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 the top spot for, for the reasoning why Theo hasn't won awards like this or, or been in the running for them, it'd be the fact that you and I finished six and five. And that's just obvious. And, and that was something that Matt suggested and he hit on it. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that it is the reason, but it is a very large reason for why Theo and uh, Theo Day has not been considered for these awards. Six and five, no playoff appearance and no significant win this season. That's what it all in my opinion, really boils down to. That's that's the top reason, but it is a conglomeration of things. It's not just that. Winning is number one, but there are players on that list that were on teams that finished six and five and were in that conversation too, i.e. Bailey Fisher from Gardner-Webb, who Gardner-Webb did make it to the playoffs, but they did also earn an auto bid after going six and five and winning all five and only five conference games to be played in the freaking Big South, which North Carolina A&T came in second to them. They finished four and one. Campbell was supposed to be God's gift to the earth after getting a bunch of three-star recruits this last year, and they went two and three in the conference. And anyway, they got in. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not upset about the fact that they got in. But what I'm, what I'm relating this situation to is the fact that Bailey Fisher was on the list. The, the list of 30 players to be considered for the Walter Payton Award. And he, none of his statistics were as good as Theo Day's were this season. I'm working on pulling it up right now, but to have that happen and just give him that because his team made the playoffs after going six and five and winning the Big South, which has five teams in it, come on. <laughs> like, I. I I, I, I do understand, and I think from a national pundit, national voter perspective, honestly, I, I, I don't think that I would have done the same thing, but I would I, but I do understand it from, from that vantage point. Let's look at Bailey Fisher's stats this season. Over 13 games, need I mind you, not 11, 13 games, 142.6 passing efficiency, completed 240 of 369 passes, which is 65%, threw for 19 touchdowns, 2,923 yards and 11 interceptions. None of those stats are better than Theo Day's when Theo played 11 games this year. But we're going to include this guy because his team made the playoffs. All right. And again, I, I, I do put this on national media, but also the fact that you and I only won six games. I mean, I, and I'm going to get into this and to how it, how the MBFC is incorporated here too, because they're, 
there's there's faults there to be laid at the MBFC's feet and the voters in the MBFC in my mind. And you know, fault might be a strong word. Reasoning is probably best because you know it's it's not you know it, it's. It's not the end of the world for Theo or for the UNI football program, but what it is is disrespectful. And to not have UNI in the playoffs and then also have Theo get snubbed because of that is just a little unfair to me. Anyway, yes, Gardner-Webb did make the playoffs, but Theo had better stats across the board, and that's just one example. So in regards to the MVFC, the Missouri Valley Football Conference, like I said, Julian McLaughlin wins Offensive Player of the Year. Hunter Lepke comes in second, just barely ahead of Theo, and then, of course, Theo in third. Now, what I have gathered based on the results of the voting for the Missouri Valley Football Conference, which is ultimately what I'm assuming national voters, national writers look at and say, oh, okay, this guy was the Offensive Player of the Year. He should be in the consideration. Hunter Lepke finished second. He goes to NDSU, who consistently wins the national title. He's in there. And Theo Day on a 6-5 and five team, and they probably didn't watch UNI almost beat South Dakota State and look like one of the best teams in the country towards the end of the season. Anyway, what the MBFC did this season is they relied on a combination of stats, winning, offensive load, and positional versatility. And that's why Hunter Lipke of NDSU finished second and Julian McLaughlin finished first. Positional versatility, you give that edge to Hunter Lipke. Load of the offense, you give that to Julian McLaughlin. Winning, you give that to Hunter Lipke. And stats, you give that to Julian McLaughlin. Unfortunately, Theo Day, I mean, you could put him in that conversation for stats, but obviously winning wasn't there. Offensive load was was definitely there. He did spread the ball around quite a bit, so you couldn't necessarily say that a ton of guys or, or one receiver necessarily was so much more productive than the others. Obviously, Sam Schnee was up there. I believe he had 14 more catches than the second leading receiver, which was either Dion or or Sergio. I can't. I, I don't know off the top of my head. But obviously, positional versatility isn't necessarily there for Theo. He's not necessarily a dual threat quarterback, though he can run and he knows when to run. He's not a dual threat. You know, he's he's not, I don't know, Cam Miller for for North Dakota State was was running the ball quite a bit this year. Um, I mean, you know, he's not he's not a Michael Vick. Obviously, there's there's only one Michael Vick. But anyway, I mean, you look at the stats for Jaleel, 227 rushing attempts, 1,588 yards, which is seven yards per carry. That's nuts. 13 touchdowns receiving. He caught 19, 19 balls for 300 yards, 200, uh, excuse me, two touchdowns. Obviously, seven wins for for Youngstown State. And uh, pair that with their passing game, which is incredibly mid at best. I think their starting quarterback threw for 12 touchdowns and like 1,500 yards. And it was between him and uh, it was like Tyler or Mitch. I don't know. Something something very basic. <laughs> or like t- Tyler Davidson or something was their starting quarterback. Again, I don't know this because you and I didn't play Youngstown. But uh, to have that type of production with a very average passing attack I think uh, is is pretty indicative as to what Jaleel McLaughlin uh, what he was able to do and and how good he is and I mean you just pair that all of that and you got the offensive player of the year you got a guy who can run the ball you got a guy who can pass the ball or excuse me catch the ball you got a guy who can score obviously you got a guy who was on a team that had seven wins didn't make the playoffs but um and just the sheer load that he had for 
the uh, the Penguins offense this season. And then you look at Hunter Lipke, 98 rushes, 621 yards, nine touchdowns. Receiving, he had 14 catches for 196 yards and four touchdowns. Obviously, the 10 wins. Uh, now he's out for the season, but he was at North Dakota State. So, obviously, he's that's that's just the really big thing right there. And I think that's something that voters may have looked at and... He was essentially a fullback slash running back, and you could also put him at tight end, and you could add him, and he'd be a great blocker in, you know, bunch package, et cetera. And part of me, you know, I, I didn't get a vote this year for 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 the for the awards. And look, I don't want to be disrespectful to Hunter Lipke. I'm sure the dude would like maul me. <laughs> you know, he could probably eat me if he really wanted to. But when I look at this and see the stat production from Lipke, what I think is, oh, that guy's fun. I'll vote for him. He's supposed to be a fullback, but he caught passes? What? He scored nine touchdowns? Here's my Offensive Player of the Year award. You know, you were on a team that was really good, and you did fun, cool stuff? Here you go. That's what I that's what I perceive it to be. And it's North Dakota State being represented in these these postseason polls because they're good. And Lipke's fun, like fine. But when you actually look at production, you actually look at load, you actually look at what a guy did for a team, and that hasn't been done like in the history of the program, essentially. To me, the edge is Theo Day. And I, I think it all Truthfully, it does boil down to those two things. The MVFC voters, in my opinion, getting it wrong and the lack of winning in Cedar Falls this season. Now, you look at, you can try to just wholly blame the MVFC, but when I say it's a conglomeration of things, what I mean is how they voted, why they voted a certain way, and what the result was. So, in essence, it is a conglomeration. It's not just two things and and maybe I missed something. If I missed something, feel free to message us on the KOEL app. Any any thoughts there? Or you can of course hit me up on Twitter. It's it's at Elliot Clough. I want to I want to you know pick this apart as much as I can. Not in it. Not in a way to rip it apart, but like to try to figure out more about what was going on. If it was more than than just the winning, the lack of winning, and and the way the MVFC voters voted, or if I'm just mis misreading this or, or misseeing it, but. In regards to the lack of winning and and such, I, I think some people might say, I don't think that's it, and cite Trevor Penning last season. But the thing about Trevor last season being in the running for the award is we all knew he was going to be a first-round pick. We all knew it. That definitely factored in. And he was also just utterly dominant to the point where he was penalized for being too good. And, you know, I, that's that's in there. That's a reason. There's a reason he was in, in the running for that award. And because you and I's offense was good enough last season to get them into the playoffs and, and win some big games. And you look at who else would have been in the running on the UNI offense and it. I, I mean, Isaiah Weston, I guess, but he was also hurt quite a bit. And Theo definitely wasn't the Theo that we know now. So those are some of the reasons that I put together. I, I didn't say it quite as eloquently on Twitter when I tried to explain it. Um, and, and I think, uh, most people would agree with that if they took a look, but Matt, I hope that suffices. And I hope, uh, to everyone else who's, who's listening that that makes sense. Again, if not, feel free to hit me up on Twitter or, or message us on the KOEL app. Um, and, uh, tell us if you think I'm an idiot, but before we get to Nick, there is another thing I want to talk about in regards to you and I football. 
And I know we just talked about transfers on this last weekend's episode. If you missed it, you can go and, and, and listen. It's in that first segment. But another player entered as of yesterday, Stefan Black the second, who was a starting corner for two years in in Cedar Falls. And I think it's really I think it's a surprise to almost everyone. I mean, I, I didn't see it coming just because he did start so early and and the coaches entrusted him in that position. And even with Miguel Edwards coming in, they still said, Steph, you're our guy. And so if you don't know a whole lot about Miguel Edwards, I, we've talked about him a little bit, but he was, I believe, a four-star. Maybe not. He was a very highly recruited corner out of high school and then went to he went to Oklahoma, transferred to Independent Community, Independence Community College then transferred to Western Kentucky, then transferred to UNI, and now he's back in the portal because he didn't get what he believed to be uh, enough playing time. So Steph was ahead of him despite all those accolades and what Miguel thought of himself. And so this was a bit of a surprise to me. I mean, you know, with the transfer portal era and everything that's happening in Iowa City, you know, stuff is still a surprise, but it's still all, it's also... Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I could see it. Somebody's going to enter the portal. Somebody's going to be a surprise, whatever. And this this season so far, it, it's Steph Black. That's that's the surprise. I mean, he initially got his playing time in Cedar Falls because of that injury to Omar Brown. And, I mean, he did fine. He, he had that great play against Southern Illinois. Very undersized, if you ask me. I, I, he can get away with it in the... MVFC because he was pretty good in coverage. Granted, it was his own coverage, and that's not really where his skill set is. But but he did enough, and you know he was opposite Austin Evans. Evans, which was they they tended to go after him when he was a freshman. But like I said, stepped up in that that game against SIU, and I'm sure Wu Governor was not happy about that in 2021. Who of course decided to stick around and then became uh, second team All Conference corner four interceptions this last season. But he took the responsibility on himself and, and turned it around, and, and he's going to be back again this coming year, and, and I'm expecting big things from Wu. But anyway, Steph told me yesterday that he's looking to go somewhere else that fits his skill set better, meaning that somewhere that plays man defense as opposed to zone defense. So do with that what you will. If you believe that to be the case, that's that's your prerogative. I, I, I think it makes sense. Uh, Steph if he could be physical at the line and really attached to a guy, I think that's where he's going to succeed. He's just a little small for zone, and he only had one pick each of these last two seasons, and I, I think that uh, he definitely wants to get those statistics up. But what I'm imagining for how you and I will replace Steph at that starting corner position, I think there's a variety of ways that this could shake out. I know for a fact that Coach Farley and company are on the recruiting trail, not only for high school, but JUCO, and they're looking at the portal right now for sure. Now, with all of that said, not a ton of offers given out quite yet via the portal because it just opened up a couple days ago. It's going to be open through January 18th, and I wouldn't be surprised if if Coach Farley and company take their time and just kind of sit around and say, you know what? We'll we'll wait for these guys to commit. Really feel like the the ones that want to be here will eventually end up here, and that's kind of been the process for them, the way it's been so far with with the portal. And 
I think that they're going to go, like I said, I think they're going to go back to the portal. They might grab a, an FBS corner. They might grab a different FCS corner. They've, they've offered guys that are in the portal that are their FCS guys, and they've also offered a ton, a ton of Zuko players so far this offseason, uh, especially offensive linemen in, in a big way and defensive backs for that matter. But as far as guys that are still on the roster, there are two that I could see stepping up into that corner position next season, um, if not in the near future. And the first one is Dewan Mack, who is a very highly touted recruit that ended up in Cedar Falls. Coach Farley had him watch Benny Sapp at, like a hawk this season to learn what it's like to, to be one of the best defensive backs in the country and what that work ethic's like and, and leadership. And I could see him stepping into that role as a redshirt freshman and, and play some corner. He played corner in high school. And instead of being on the back of the defense with Dale Sean Staley, I, he could step into a position that's a little more natural to him that he's used to and, and play opposite of Wu governor and be there for four years. I mean, it's, it's, it's a possibility. The kid's super talented, initially committed to Kansas uh, and, and ended up in Cedar falls. He's very invested in the program. His father's very invested in the program follows me on, on Twitter. And, um, I'm really excited about Mac, whether it's at the corner position or, or the rover or or safety or nickel, even like like Edwin Deerman ended up at. But I think it's at the back end of this, the, the defense for safeties. As of right now, to me, the way I see it, it's going to be Dale Sean Staley and or a transfer. And then there's a possibility of Edwin Deerman moving from nickel back to that safety position, which he played prior and there's the possibility of Dewan Mack being back there too, or or playing corner. And now, and, and just to keep it keep it to the corner position before we get too too in the weeds here, I think as regard in regards to the remainder of the roster, guys who could step into that position, Devin Foster is definitely in there. He's a guy that I talked with quite a bit at at uh, UNI Media Days that that Wu told me about uh, here and there. He's a transfer from Community uh, Highland Community College, and he's an athlete. Like he came in as a wide receiver, played a lot of wide receiver. He has seven eleven in his Twitter bio because he's always open. <laughs> and in the little bit that we got to see him play this season, he made plays. Uh, it was against Utah Tech where he came in. You and I was blowing out the Trailblazers. He came in, and the first thing he did was there was a decently long pass that was caught by a Utah Tech receiver. He tackled him, put his helmet on the football, and the ball was on the ground, and you and I recovered it. Foster's you just look at him and you see the way he moves he's fluid and if he can really stick to that corner position he could be really fun to watch and and he could get that position um and short up after Stefan Black has decided to enter the enter the portal thirdly slash fourthly you know you could go Juco you could go FBS transfer portal and I I think all three are are pretty solid options it depends on where Coach Farley and and Coach Randall McRae and Benny Sapp, Coach Benny Sapp the second, see things going for for Mac for Foster, and if they can get a guy who was a three star, maybe was a four star coming out of high school, that will come in and contribute right away to be that corner position, maybe be a safety position, and and move Mac to the to the corner to to keep Foster at the corner. I, there's a lot of different moving parts that could result in so many different things <laughs> this this offseason for you and I football. And, you know, as much as it sucks to see a guy who was recruited by the staff who decided to come to you and I and, and be there for two years despite having offers from FBS programs, as much as it sucks to see him go, also, I like Steph. Steph's a good guy. Um, 
as much as that sucks, it's it's really fun and interesting to see where things could shake out. I I mean, I I'm really excited about Mac. I'm really excited about Foster, and I'm really excited about the potential of the transfer portal. I'll have an article on the transfer portal coming out here soon as well, so stick around for that. That'll be on the KOEL website as well. Now we're going to head to a quick break. Don't go anywhere, though. We've got Nick Oson from Cyclone Report and 24-7 Sports coming up to talk the start of the Iowa State basketball season and transfer portal for the Iowa State Cyclones on the football side of things. Stay right here for more Corn Stocks and Sports Talk. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And we're back here on Cornstock Sports Talk. Nick Osin of 24-7 Sports and Cyclone Alert joining us now for this segment. Dude, first off, Nick, obviously we're going to talk portal stuff for the Cyclones, but things have been insane for the Hawkeyes. Even the last 24 hours on the defensive side of things, Justin Jacobs and Terry Roberts entering the portal. As a guy who covers the Cyclones, knows the Cyclone fan base, and maybe you know we can disregard that, but uh, thoughts? on what's happening in Iowa city right now. Yeah. I got to say those surprised me a little bit, you know, those are some big time names, especially Justin Jacobs with Iowa. And, you know, a lot of people were talking about how this portal season was going to be crazy and unlike something we'd ever seen. And it sounds like those people may have been correct. Um, <laughs> you, know, you expect some names, you expect maybe stars everywhere, but it's honestly been even a little hard to keep track of. Uh, I don't think those were necessarily expected, at, at least from kind of what I had seen. And it's, you know, I, I like that players get the opportunity to kind of find a place and be happy and things like that. But I also, I don't know, I kind of like when players are with each other on the same team for two or three years, four years together. So it's interesting. It's it's a really interesting time to kind of be covering uh, college sports and, and college football specifically. You know, at least specifically for the Hawkeyes, um, I, I'm not surprised by all the offensive stuff, but uh, to have that happen on the defensive side of the ball is is just wild. And I'm sure we'll get to that this weekend uh, on uh, this weekend episode of Cornstock Sports Talk. But for now, uh, the, the Cyclone side of things, not as big. Some guys, you know, uh, but but none that I necessarily recognize as huge huge contributors as a guy that doesn't cover the team. Um, but but any portal entrances that that surprised you or that you expect to have a huge impact on on the Cyclones? Yeah, well said, Elliot. So you know, most of those names you're seeing, uh, I either had you know kind of reported a while back, or those players had kind of made their intentions known before officially landing in the portal. So. You know, Deion Silas is a guy in there, Jaden Gray. Uh, there was another player that, you know, was kind of expected. I think it was Hunter Zenzen. But one that was a surprise, not because I expected him back with the Cyclones, but because I didn't necessarily expect him to play another year of college football, was Sean Shaw, uh, a wideout that we reported on on Monday. 
uh, had some production in Iowa State, you know, great kid, good size, and really well liked by by the team and a lot of the staff. But I believe this was his fifth year in the program. So obviously, when you usually hear fifth years, they'd be on to the NFL or whatever they're going to kind of do professionally. But with the COVID years, I guess Shaw is someone that is still able to use one. And it sounds like he doesn't want to be done playing college football, which I totally understand. So he he's an Oklahoma native. I noticed some Sooners fans and reporters were maybe sharing my initial report on that. So I am curious if that's a team that is maybe just looking for kind of a solid big time uh, receiver in terms of size, pretty good in the red zone. That's really the only other name I can even think of right now. There were a couple walk-ons that entered the portal, but yeah, I had kind of told, you know, my readers right after the final game of the season, the TCU game, I don't expect, you know, kind of a, a mass exit of players. And so far, you know, as you kind of knock on wood for Cyclones fans, that seems to be the case. I, I think that Iowa state is, going to be and, and is fairly active in the portal, but there's not a sense of desperation or anything like that just because they kind of had a down year. There's a lot of production that's going to be back, Elliot, and, and there's a lot of faith and confidence in this 2023 recruiting class as well. Now, uh, you mentioned both of the things that that I would hit on there in regards to why there aren't a lot of guys entering the portal um, especially after a four and eight season, right? I mean, when these teams have down seasons, generally that they flood the portal. Is it is it because of both of those things where you would imagine a lot of these guys expect that they're going to come back and continue to produce one or or two that it's just culture and and, and Coach Matt Campbell has has it down to a T. These guys are going to stick around. They want to be a part of what's going on in Ames. Yeah, really well said. I'll, I'll kind of go to that second part first. I think that. Culture is a huge part. You know, it gets thrown around a lot and many people maybe, I don't know, maybe don't necessarily see it or kind of preach it as much anymore outside of the program. But I can tell you being pretty close to it, you know, being at press conferences, games every week, speaking with different sources and things of that nature, uh, it, it's real. And I think that people love it in Ames. I think they love Coach Campbell and the staff. I do think there is a real and legitimate close-knit brotherhood at Iowa State. So I, I think that's all real. I think it's also the fact that, you know, they expect to produce guys like, I mean, we can be honest, the offense was a little bit down, but guys like Jirel Brock, Cartavius Norton, Jalen Knoll on the defense, uh, Miles Purchase, I'm thinking of some other younger players like Bo Freeler, sophomore, uh, Malik Verdon, Jeremiah Cooper. You know, I think there's this expectation that they've seen recent chances to develop at Iowa State. There's been a pretty good run of NFL players, certainly in the last three or four years coming from the Cyclones. And there's a lot of faith there. It's it, To me, it's a kind of thing where they were four and eight. But I know we talked about it. They... <laughs> They were probably four or five plays away from being seven and five. I think that's pretty safe to say. I mean, Texas, Kansas games, boom, right there. That's that's two plays at six and six. So, yeah, I, I really like how you kind of questioned that. And, and I do think that's a legitimacy of it. There could still be one or two more players that, that happen. I don't expect any of those big-time names. And I think that's a reason why even amidst a down year and 
a lot of the changes that I'm sure, you know, you'll maybe touch on and that have obviously been happening in the news with the coaching staff. I'm kind of thinking about this, like, okay, you know, maybe there isn't this overwhelming sense of worry and kind of concern because there is a faith to get things back on the right track. One player that we haven't touched on that entered the portal from, from Iowa state was three star when he, when he graduated high school, Blake Peterson. Um, he has an offer from you and I, uh, Cordarius Bailey, a guy who has the similar, similar situation where he has some eligibility left enters the portal. And then he ended up at UNI, um, looking for a, a medical red shirt to, to add another year of eligibility coming up this season. Is there anything you can tell us about his game in, in the time that you've been at Iowa State, considering he hasn't seen the field all that much? Yeah, I, I think that he, you know, generally for the level of programs that would be looking at Peterson, I think that he would be a really good addition. Uh, by all accounts, from what I've gathered, really good kid, works hard in the classroom, and, and I think he just kind of, you know, maybe – Fell, fell behind a little bit in terms of uh, some of the younger talent that was coming up. But I, from my time around the football program, and it was only really five or six months so far, wasn't a bad thing said about him. I can tell you, we spoke with him at, uh, you know, kind of after our practice in August. So he was expected to have kind of a major role. I just think some of the younger guys kind of came up and that happens. That's actually the most natural thing obviously to happen in football and to lose your spot other than maybe random injuries so yeah I think he's you know he's certainly strong he's got a decent get off on the edge uh has produced at Iowa State just maybe not that star caliber but I I mean that's okay that that doesn't happen with everyone that kind of comes through college football and yeah that was one that we reported on I think back in November so it was, you know, to be expected kind of recently in the last couple of weeks. And I think he just simply wasn't playing a ton and nothing too much deeper than that with with Peterson, for sure. Also has offers from uh, NDSU and a couple FBS schools. So uh, we'll see how that shakes out. But Cordarius Bailey can can speak to to what's happening in, 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 in Cedar Falls and, and how they helped him improve. But um, off the top of my head, I, I can't think of any big transfers that have come to Iowa State, um, and, and that's that's where you come in, right? Uh, is there is there a history that I'm just maybe not aware of for the Cyclones and the portal? I mean, do you think that they're gonna maybe try out try and and go get a guy to to come to Iowa State? Yeah, they'll be fairly active. That's kind of how I'm uh, framing it. Like I said, not desperate. All oh, we need to kind of reshape the whole roster, but there are some spots where I do think they will be. There were a few good transfers on the team this last year. I would say one you could say was great. I mean, he's going to give his, himself a chance to go to the NFL now. MJ Anderson was a transfer from Minnesota on the edge. Colby Reader, linebacker, was a transfer from Delaware. He was really good. I'm not really sure what a potential pro career would look like for him. I would guess he probably wouldn't have still been playing college football if he had a great shot at the NFL, but he was actually – Really pretty good, better than I thought. And I know that the team missed him when he wasn't out there. Uh, Dimitri Stanley from Colorado, a wide receiver who I believe is expected back with the team next year. So, yeah, I would say maybe not, you know, when I'm just initially thinking about it with you, kind of big-time star quarterback or running back. Xavier Hutchinson was technically a transfer from the uh, from the junior college ranks. So, you know, maybe not kind of the – sense of the portal that we really think of, but obviously he's one of the best 
players at Iowa State, certainly in this generation. So, yeah, I expect kind of that similar level of locking in on guys and, and seeing what they can make happen. But just with the amount of production that I expect back really on both sides of the ball, I don't think that there's kind of an enormous level of overreactiveness kind of in the transfer portal for the Cyclones this year. So if I could put that into, you know, maybe make it a little bit more succinct, do you think that uh, the move for for Coach Campbell in in the program is – to go and look at the portal, but only guys that are going to be fits in, in, in Ames. That's pretty well said, Elliot. Yeah. I, I think that's not only with the portal, but really how I feel like they approach uh, recruiting and, you know, I'll, I'll give kind of a bump here for national signing day in a couple of weeks. I, I got some quotes from Campbell that kind of speak on that, but you know, I just feel like obviously you want the best players and you go for the best players, but I certainly know now being around the program and certainly the recruiting side for almost a year and being able to speak with a lot of the players they go after and just knowing kind of what they look for, fit is huge. And they might not always go for necessarily that top flight player if they don't feel that he would kind of fit into this culture that I think really kind of puts the team before himself usually and looks out for others around them. And it's, it's interesting. I think that that kind of also shows how much you follow Iowa State in a good way, kind of knowing that aspect of how the Cyclones recruit. And I think that's definitely a part of how they look at generally high school recruiting as well as the transfer portal. I think they extend offers and go hard after guys, but they're not just throwing them around either. Similar to how, how the basketball program recruits, they kind of lock in on their guys and form these relationships and then – make make a pretty hard push. They are known to offer uh, kind of before a lot of other schools in high school recruiting, but I personally think that just speaks to Derek Hooger and the recruiting unit and kind of how good they are at identifying talent early. For the record, you can always bump your stuff here on Corn Stocks and Sports Talk, Nick. Um, but uh, other, other changes to the program, coaching staff. Obviously, Tom Manning no longer – uh, there they they brought in uh, or Nate Shieldhouse is going to take over that position. What what went into that decision? Why is why is Shieldhouse the fit? Uh, it didn't take to, take long. It didn't really appear that they they went on a big search or anything. How did that shake out? Uh, why did it shake out like it did? Yeah, so there yeah it didn't take long with the Shieldhouse aspect, and from what I gathered pretty quickly that that was expected. There's been some buzz that other schools. Uh, we're looking at him. I can't confirm that, but it wouldn't shock me just because of how highly I know that Shieldhouse is thought of in college football. Was a big time quarterback, really an impressive player at Illinois, really good recruiter, high attention to detail. And why I feel it happened is obviously Iowa State didn't want to lose him, but I think he's so highly thought of within the the walls of the program as well. I think that he's really good at kind of connecting with people and players. I think he garners that respect because he did play at such a high level and such a great level at the quarterback position. I think that's a position that often helps there as well. And, you know, I respect this about Matt Campbell. I think that when he's kind of found his guys and they've really stuck together for the most part with this kind of coaching staff, you know, there are some, Maybe some guys that have left for other spots. You maybe look at Alex Golish or 
you know, obviously you mentioned Manning will no longer be kind of part of the Iowa State staff. But for the most part, that's something that they really try to do, especially with Campbell and the Cyclones. And I respect that. I, I think the Shieldhouse move was somewhat expected, at least from what I gathered. And as a fan of football, I'm excited to see what he kind of does with this offense because, sure, there are spots you'll have to fill talent, like losing Xavier Hutchinson and players of that nature, but they also return a lot of their their guys that were expected to have big roles. So I think that that's going to be really intriguing to me, Elliot. And, you know, I think it's a really good opportunity for Nate Shieldhouse, who's really been kind of awesome to be around and, and cover so far as well. Considering we we haven't seen him in an OC role, do you have any, any gauge as to what kind of offense, what kind of scheme he's he's going to bring in to, to the program? Yeah, really good question. I don't have uh, a ton of kind of that image other than I expect Campbell to still have a major kind of voice and role with things. Um, but I, what, what I will say is I think I expect some more creativity kind of in the run game as well as, you know, maybe even just formations and straight up play calls sometimes within the red zone. I think that that's something that you look at last year and there were definitely some some issues, whether that was play calling, execution, really wherever, excuse me, wherever you look there, that could have been better for the Cyclones. And I think that's something that Shieldhouse will certainly hit on in his tenure as offensive coordinator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, let's flip to basketball now because things are are going pretty well for the Cyclones to start the, the 2022 season. Wins over Villanova, North Carolina. Obviously, they're not where they want to be right now as as, as blue bloods in, in basketball, but still wins over Villanova, North Carolina. Obviously, the only loss coming to UConn, who's a who's a terrific program. Big takeaways from from these first few games. Who is this team? What what have we learned about about the Cyclones? What have you learned about the Cyclones so far uh, in 2022? Yeah, so they're similar to last year in that defense is going to be the backbone of this team. And as far as that goes in terms of rebounding and forcing turnovers, that's how far the team's going to go. I wouldn't say they have that star power and guys like Isaiah Brockington and Tyrese Hunter. But between guys that are back, from people from the portal that have kind of improved and you know, really things like that. When you look at Jaron Holmes from St. Bonaventure, Oshun Oshuni, Gabe Kalsher's back and certainly has a clear-cut role. Caleb Grill has one of the best performances of the year so far in college basketball. I think Taman Lipsy has really impressed. Robert Jones. And you notice I just named five or six guys, and that's because that's the focal point of the team. I think that it's a team that you've got probably seven or eight guys that can get you eight to 12 points. It's not maybe two players that'll just get you 18 to 20. And for the way that Coach Otzelberger and the staff kind of operate, I think that's a good thing, at least for this season. I think that the team has impressed me in terms of their depth and kind of defensive versatility and ways to stop you. And with that said, 
I'm not going to hide from it. You you know that I'm kind of comfortable putting my opinion out there. I picked this team to make the tournament, and from what I've seen so far, yes, the Big 12 Conference, in terms of conference play, is going to be a major step up from what they're generally seeing because that Big 12 Conference is so tough. But, man, the Cyclones get a win against Iowa and just basically keep stacking these non-conference wins. You know, 11-1 and or 10-2, and that's – that's really good, and that'll come a long way in March. Then you're looking at really just needing maybe seven wins in conference play, you know, seven and 10, seven and 11. That's kind of what I've taken away from the team, and I wouldn't say there are a ton of surprises other than maybe I think Robert Jones has really impressed offensively. He's someone that I had heard a lot of good buzz about in the offseason. I said that on another another show this week too, but – He's really put it together. We got to speak with him this week and just a really impressive person and player. And it's cool to see someone like that, that, you know, has put the time in really kind of find some of that success. I remember, I think it might've been the last time we talked about Iowa state basketball. I was like, yeah, once Oshuni is gone, are you going to have to go into the portal replace? I, from what I've seen from Jones, dude, I am, am so impressed. Cause I was like, he's a serviceable, big, serviceable, big, he'll fill a role, you know, he'll get boards, protect the rim, but he's been, he's been awesome this season. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. We did talk <laughs> about that. And I just feel like, you know, Otzelberger kind of hit on how he's even a focal point of the offense sometimes. I think that, so he can pass. I think that his passing out of the post can certainly get a little better, but when he's locked in on shooting and he kind of gets over, I think he, you know, kind of likes going over his left shoulder and maybe a little righty hook as well. Those moves are tough to guard because he's so strong and physical that he can, he can take some contact and punish down there. So he's been really good, you know, a real bright spot for the Cyclones team that has had a lot of them. I think that most people will be honest. They've watched every game. Like I have, obviously the coaches have, and I've been a part of it. And I think there's this sense that, they're not even at their ceiling, which I think is a little scary and why I can't wait to see this Cyhawk game this week. In just a couple of days, they're taking on the Hawkeyes. Predictions, thoughts, matchups, et cetera. What, what are you looking for in this game? Yeah, I think that a lot of it is going to come down to how physical the game is allowed to be played. But either way, I, I think that if the game was at Hilton, comfortable uh, to pick a win, but I think either way I'm going to pick a small Cyclones victory because Iowa is going to be coming off a short trip against Duke, one of the most talented teams in the country, traveling from New York, and then having to get back about a day, day and a half later to face a rested Iowa State team. I think it's going to be a terrific game, Elliot. You know I'm smiling here. You can see that. (laughs) You know how much I love hoops. I can't wait to be at this game and, and cover it. I'm truly excited. And I just hope that it's, you know, kind of close and lives up to the billing because I think it could be one of the best early season games of the year. It'll be fun, man. He is Nick Osen at the real Nick Osen on Twitter. Go give him a follow. Uh, all things Iowa, Iowa State Cyclones. I almost said I, uh, I almost said Iowa Cyclones. I meant Iowa State Cyclones. <laughs> Go give him a follow on Twitter. Uh, for, uh, it's from 24-7 Sports and Cyclone Alert. Nick, we always appreciate you, man. You always bring it. You bet, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts 
so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.